All right, Alexander, let's talk about the war in, uh, in Israel and Gaza. And uh, I guess we could talk about the, the Eisenhower entering the, the Gulf. Uh, what, what's going on there? And of course, we have a whole lot of diplomacy um, happening uh, in the Middle East. Uh, Blinken was in, uh, in Israel. And my general sense of, of this is, is pretty much what we've been saying for the past two, three weeks. Uh, we've been pretty, pretty uh, consistent in saying this, which is that uh, the, the Biden White House, um, they've made a, a mess of, of the policy in Israel. Netanyahu has made a mess of things. Um, and uh, it, it seems like the Biden White House is trying to figure out a way to, to exit this, but, but there are other forces involved, which perhaps is, are, are not so keen on exiting. And maybe one of those forces is Netanyahu himself, the man. But um, the more this, this war continues, the worse it gets for Israel and the United States. I, have to admit, I mean, for Gaza, it's, 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 it's a horrific tragedy, but um, this, is, this is not going the way the U.S. and, and Israel no. probably thought it would go. No, and can I just say, I mean, you know, we've, you know, it's not been an easy conflict to cover, but I think the results that we see at the moment, where we are at this moment, this particular point in time, if you go back and look at all our programs right from the start of this affair, this particular twist in the, in the fighting, you can see that we were saying that it would probably arrive at this point provided there wasn't that greater escalation across the Middle East, which is a real potential possibility, that if it was just confined to, to Gaza, we would find ourselves in this particular situation where there is this kind of ceasefire. It's a very odd and complicated ceasefire. You can sense that some people in Israel want to end it and to resume the fighting. The Biden administration has suffered enormous political damage, um, both within the United States. There's even, there was even a meeting in which Biden apparently apologized to uh, Muslims, to American Muslims, for um, appearing to question the figures of the numbers of people killed in Palestine, in, in Gaza, which is an astonishing thing to happen, by the way. But you can see that they are suffering political damage in the United States, and they have seen their whole political position in the Middle East massively damaged as well. I mean, they flirted, well, they didn't flirt, they, they backed at the beginning these ideas of people being relocated from Gaza into Sinai. The Arab states had absolutely not. <laughs> They've now had to accept that. They, we've had um, a whole series of conversations between Biden and um, Arab leaders, al-Sisi especially, the Egyptian leader, accepting that that's not going to happen. And we see the ceasefire. And you get every sense that the administration basically wants to see the ceasefire continue because it's getting them... It's, it's at least limiting the political damage. And there are reports that Egypt and Saudi Arabia are now working very hard together. And they're obviously both now going to be BRIC states before long, and they're working very hard to get this ceasefire confirmed by Security Council resolution. So all of that is now playing out very much as we sort of expected. But in some ways, an even more interesting development, 
and I'm, you know, I don't want to downplay the significance of what's going on in Gaza because it is the epicenter of this. But for me personally, perhaps I should say, a more interesting development is tracking the movements of the USS Eisenhower. It's a very powerful carrier. The United States has deployed two carrier task forces to the Middle East. It's deployed missiles in the Middle East. It's deployed aircraft in the Middle East. Those decisions all were taken at the start of October. They are all consistent. And, I, you know, we said this before, and I want to repeat this again. They are all consistent with plans for a massive strike on Iran. And that was clearly where events were going in early October, or would have gone had the demands of the neocons within the administration been heeded. And it's clear that those people in the first weeks were very, very much in the ascendancy. And the Eisenhower is now in the Persian Gulf, and it's locating precisely in the area where it would be, we would expect to see it if there was a plan to launch big airstrikes against Iran. Now, as I said, I think this is probably the product of decisions made in October. But the fact that it is there at all, the fact that it is backed by this enormously powerful nuclear submarine with its 150 Tomahawk cruise missiles, gives you a sense of what was originally planned and of how dangerous the situation in October actually was. It's a combination of extremely skillful diplomacy by the Muslim states, the Arab states in particular, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, they played perhaps the key role, and of course the BRIC states, the Chinese and the Russians, together with protests in the United States, but more especially, I think, the diplomacy, which has brought us from that brink, brought us back from that brink. Yeah, what, what risk do you think there is that uh, this is not um, a result of decisions made in October where the Eisenhower is located and perhaps there still is that, that impulse to, to launch a strike uh, towards Iran? The, I, I'm confident that the decisions were made in October, but bear in mind something. The fact that the Eisenhower is now in the Persian Gulf shows that no one up to this point has countermanded those orders. <laughs> I mean, it's been positioned in the Persian Gulf. It's ready for a strike against Iran. The reason it's, the strike against Iran isn't happening is because nobody's yet given the order that it should happen. The danger always is, in this kind of situation, that somebody will at some point push and demand that the order be given. And that tells us that the situation still, despite the fact that, you know, there's all these signs that some people are trying to dampen the situation, to bring it back under control, to bring the Gaza situation back under control, to accept that the objectives that Netanyahu, with Biden's backing, uh, um, set out right at the start, you know, going into Gaza, obliterating Hamas entirely, changing things, the entire situation there completely. Even though those plans 
for the moment have not have been abandoned. There's still not been a political decision, a full political decision to call off the idea of a strike against Iran. So the Eisenhower has been allowed to steam all the way to the Persian Gulf, and it is there. And nobody so far, nobody yet, has made the order to pull it back. And that's incredibly dangerous. It tells you that that argument in the White House, in the administration, is still ongoing. There are still um, tensions and that there are still people within the administration who still hanker for that strike on Iran. So, you know, this this crisis is far from over. And I think, you know, at the moment, the trajectory is towards some kind of stabilisation. But people should not, um, should not, um, you know, assume that it is over yet. Uh, I just wanted to say yesterday, um, we did on the Duran a programme. It's not yet, I think, been published with uh, uh, Colonel, Wil- Colonel Lawrence Wilkerson. Um, it, it, it's been published. It's, it's been published. published. OK. But anyway, if people see it, I mean, he talks about the neocons that he had to deal with within the US government. And he said that, you know, that at one point they were planning seven wars. Actually, planning seven wars. And he was in the, the Pentagon and he was listening to people, you know, in all seriousness, planning seven wars, one after the other. And he also described um, what it was actually like dealing with these people, you know, the... Um, vociferous, angry way that they behave, the rudeness and the arrogance that they behave. And those people are still there. I mean, he had to deal with them before, but, you know, they're still there. He had comments to make about Victoria Nuland, who he clearly knows. So he knows he knows President Biden himself, by the way. He mentioned him. So you could see that this group is still there. You see how militant and dangerous they are, and all their weapons are in place, and they are still uncomfortably close to the trigger. So this crisis is far from over. Yeah, it's a very, very dangerous situation. And you know, the neocons, they're they're not going to let it go so easily because this is as close as they've gotten, at least from what I can remember, to, to getting one of the most coveted wars They've uh, they've they've been uh, trying for, which is a war with Iran. I mean, the neocons—they have been wanting a war with Iran forever, it seems, and they're so close to getting it. So I don't think they're going to let this go too easily. I imagine there's a lot of uh, a lot of debate and discussion in the White House um, to try and get something uh, going towards uh, towards Iran. But um, what kind of a what kind of a role do you think the the media, the optics, the information uh, war played in uh, in uh, Israel and getting to to the Biden White House to effectively uh, say, you know, we're we, we got to find an off ramp to this it, uh, it, because it seems like the 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 images, the videos, the the the, the horrors that the entire world is is seeing in in Gaza. It seems like this is this is in one of the the driving forces to to get the Biden White House to to um, to seek some sort of prolonged ceasefire and eventually some sort of stabilization. 
uh, the Biden White House that is consumed with its uh, with uh, with optics and with uh, the media's perception of of the administration. I mean, this is a top priority for them, and and all of these horrific images, and even the labeling of Biden genocide Joe that they call him. I mean, this is yeah. this has been I'm, a driving factor in, in, in getting to to some sort of de escalation. Absolutely. It's very like, you know, the, what, what happened to LBJ, Lyndon Johnson, um, in the last, uh, you know, in, in, just before he had to pull out. You know, there were uh, uh, the, the protesters used to go and chant all kinds of things about Lyndon Johnson, you know. And uh, if you compare the chants of that time with the chants that are being made about Biden now, you can see the similarities. They're very, the language and the accusations are very, very similar. And what happened, what's happened is that just as LBJ in the 60s lost control of the media, um, lost control of the narrative. Remember, these people are obsessed with narratives. He lost it in the 60s. And uh, Biden and his team lost it this time because the, the fundamental problem, the thing they didn't take into account was, firstly, that a lot more of the world cares about what goes on in Gaza and the Palestinian territories. The Muslim world cares. Uh, you can't control it in the way that you can control so many other things. And I think they also badly misjudged some of the sentiments amongst some of the grassroots in the um, Democratic Party, and that eventually had an effect on the media in the United States as well. And that had a snowball effect, and it, 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 it got out of control, and it put the entire administration on the defensive. And it's played a decisive role, because for this administration, more than any other in the history of the United States, well, perhaps the Obama administration was similar, but media control is everything. <laughs> that is what they're obsessed with. Obama, to a certain extent, but a great extent was, this lot are obsessed with it even more. You know, they're uh, entirely postmodernists. I mean, they believe that, you know, the narrative, if you can get the narrative accepted, it becomes the truth. <laughs> and for them, the fact that the narrative was going in the wrong direction and, uh, uh, you know, basically hold them. I mean, they, they were shot under the waterline. They couldn't really... Uh, survive this, and that is why they changed. But of course, if we go back to the neocons, first of all, they're less bothered about that kind of narrative than um, the Biden team are, because the neocons aren't into the business so much of winning elections because they have a presence in both parties. They've got Nikki Haley now, <laughs> you know, rising and all that. So, uh, um, so that's not what their concern is. And besides, if they're worried that the administration is going to lose the election uh, next year and that a new president, say Donald Trump, is going to come in and bring you know, the whole thing to a stop. Well, given that they're so close to getting their war, that is going to make them even more determined to try to get their war now rather than have it taken from them, possibly forever. So, you know, you've got to always remember that there are these uh, people there and they are extremely difficult to uh, um, control 
and content. Colonel Wilkinson said how difficult to control they actually are and how impossible to argue with they actually are. And they will be running amok at the moment. There will be furious rows going on in the, um, you know, in the executive, in, in, in the West Wing, in the National Security Council, in the Pentagon, in the State Department. You can imagine the anger and the fury and the stamping of feet and the banging on desks that's probably happening and the bad language that is being used also. Yeah. Media control is baked in the cake with the Biden White House. It's it's baked into the man himself. You know, I mean, it it starts with him. The the, the obsession with controlling uh, the media and the narrative. So it's no surprise that uh, that they're so obsessed with with the media narrative um, when it comes to to this war as well. And it's backfired in a in a big big way. They misjudged everything. Uh, with regards to, to to this war, they probably thought that it was going to go along the lines of uh, of Project Ukraine, where in the beginning, and even to a certain extent, even today, uh, the Biden White House does have a pretty good um, handle on on the media narrative. It's just starting to crumble now, but we're two years into into the conflict in Ukraine, so they probably thought that what they did in Ukraine. All the all the fake news, siege of Kiev, ghost of Kiev, all that stuff that they could probably do the same thing in uh, in Gaza, but it, it didn't work out at all. I, I wonder why. I wonder what well, was different about about Gaza that well, that, did, that wasn't there in the things, in the first year, say of of Project Ukraine. Two things. Uh, two things. The first is, um, as I said, the fact that an awful lot more people care about this war. Then I, it, I have to say this: care about Ukraine. I mean, the, the, the last is a, not an easy thing to acknowledge because it is a war, and you know, many, many, many more people have died in Ukraine than in Gaza, and you know, just just saying that. But nonetheless, we military, military people, not, not civilian, not civilian. civilian it's the reverse. Okay, we will come to that. Civilians, yeah. it's the reverse. Yeah, just to you know. clarify, yeah. you're talking about the totality of the number of people. It is a much bigger conflict, but people aren't personally and emotionally invested in it in the same, to the same degree. That's one. But the other thing, and this is, comes straight to the point you've just made, is the way in which this operation was conducted, the uh, uh, enormous amount of bombing. And, you know, I've read pieces, and I think it was the Financial Times, which talked about indiscriminate bombing, the hundreds of buildings destroyed, the pictures of people being killed, the people, pictures of children, and you know, all of that. There was just far too much of that coming over far too short a time for um, the Biden White House to be able to control that. And I think what ultimately was decisive in them losing control of the media on this was that the humanitarian agencies and the US Secretariat ultimately rebelled. <laughs> Some of their people, of course, have also been killed in all of this. And, you know, faced with this overwhelming problem in Gaza, they came out and started to speak straightforwardly and openly about what was happening. And that was what caused the whole media control thing to collapse. It was entirely predictable, by the way. I mean, I remember, if you go back and watch our early programmes, they predicted that something very like this would actually happen. 
Yeah, the the UN Secretariat. Yeah, absolutely. The UN Secretary. Yeah, you, you Secretary. said something in your. Yeah, you said something in your locals. Just to wrap up the video, in your locals uh, exclusive, um, where you said that if only I'm trying to remember what you said. If only um, they saw how Putin, or 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 what's happened in Gaza and in Israel, has really uh, shown, um, has really put. Yeah. The spotlight on yeah. on how Russia conducted its its war in Ukraine. Yeah, I mean, you can really see the the, the differences, and it really shows uh, the yeah, way that I, Russia conducted the war, absolutely, um, as it, opposed it, it, to the way Netanyahu and Israel has conducted this this war. Absolutely, it highlighted the contrasts, and it, it I mean, it showed the incredible intelligence and discipline with which the Russians conducted the war, which meant that the whole war, the whole world, ultimately, apart from, you know, the collective West, is quietly backing them. And the contrast with the, the unintelligent and uh, um, ruthless way, indiscriminate way, with which the is Israel, and it must be said, the United States, um, got involved in this affair in Gaza. Uh, I mean, you know, Putin and his team, and we must not just, just Putin, but, you know, the general staff, the foreign ministry, all of these people, that run, they sat down and they thought it out. They thought it out very carefully. They've been relentlessly criticised by all kinds of people for, you know, keeping their gloves on, not taking their gloves off, not you know, attacking in all directions and destroying everything and smashing up everything. Well, we could see how that has played politically to their advantage and how it is increasingly doing so. And we see the contrast with the way in which the US and Israel are now very, very much on the back foot. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, uh, the Duran dot uh, We are on Rumble, Odyssey, BitChute, Telegram, Rockfin, and Twitter X. And go to the Duran shop. Twenty percent off. Use the code the Duran twenty. Take care.